518. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out SpiritBlade.com or by checking us out at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. On the show today, a review of the Jackie Chan sci-fi movie Bleeding Steel. Some thoughts on the reasons why we dream of other worlds from our friends at Speculative Faith, and my top five solo or co-op games from Gen Con 2018. Here we go! Bleeding Steel, starring Jackie Chan. Uh, the synopsis, or a synopsis at least, there's a couple. This one's the longer one on IMDb, and it reads, A special force agent slash police officer is assigned to protect a young woman involved in a science experiment of longevity from a gangster with an army of advanced technology who desires to obtain her power while also having connections with him. Uh, that's a little bit of a bumpy synopsis for me. It feels a little bit like it might have been translated almost, and that sums up a lot of <laughs> how this movie felt to me. Um, when I saw the trailer, I... Well, first off, I should say, I wanted to review replicas this week. <laughs> but And usually the theaters in my area do get limited release movies like Replicas, which currently only has a limited release, that was not the case this week. I realized that only too late. And so at the last minute, I had to find some other kind of movie-type content to review. And this is <laughs> the best I could find. The trailer made me think, oh, okay, maybe this is um, another uh, Jackie Chan movie where kind of as he's getting older, he's going for s stuff now and then it's a little more serious. I've seen one or two movies uh, advertised for him where he's clearly going for a, you know, a more serious kind of vibe. And I thought maybe this would be it based on the trailer. Uh-uh. <laughs> the trailer, I felt like, lied to me. Um, this movie felt to me like a kid's movie with rated R violence and PG-13 sexuality. Uh, the characters are like just over the top and cartoony, in, in especially like the villains and like there's a comic relief character as well. But even like the hero, you know, Jackie Chan will have some moments that are just a little bit silly. It's a silly and goofy action movie. Um, the the dialogue and the performance style among the many members of the cast is really kind of over the top and cartoony. It it reminds me a bit of you know. Um, maybe the taking the aesthetics of anime, like an, a typical Japanese anime action type movie with some comedy sprinkled in, as they usually have, and translating that to live action. That's that is probably the best way I would describe this. I really dislike most anime specifically because of the humor. The humor is over the top, and it doesn't connect with me at all. 
And so you can imagine maybe how I might have felt about this experience. Um, gosh, I don't want to spend a bunch of time talking about this movie. I feel like I've done a couple of negative reviews lately, and I just... Uh, I got better ways to spend my time than to be just going on and on and on and on about something that I don't like. Um, is there anything else I want to say about the story? It, it felt like this would speak more to maybe the audio aspects of, of the movie, but it felt like it was partially written in post-production. There was some, uh, like, uh, ADR, which is when the, when the actors will record the dialogue again after re- recording a scene on film... In a, they'll get them together after the movie's been edited or while it's being edited. They'll get them together and have them talk along, just like as if you know they in in the old days when they would um, create the animation for a cartoon first and then have the actors sync along with them. I think it's much more common now to to record the actors first and then animate around their their performance. But uh, but anyway, it it felt like. There was a like it was bad ADR. It was it was rough. It was rough. And even like some of the um, I'm not sure which language they were speaking. I think it was probably Chinese. Um, it, this this script is a mix of uh, English and I believe Chinese. Um, I don't speak Chinese, so I wouldn't know it from Japanese. You know, I don't speak Japanese either. So, um, and even when they went into like the the Chinese, it still like the the lip sync was still a little bit off. It felt like it was produced rather than in the moment. You know, re- recorded there in the moment. So it was just oof. It was rough. And then there was also instances where clearly the, the the actor in the ADR booth was given a line to say that was not supported by what was filmed because a person would maybe just barely have their mouth open but they would be there would be like some talking going on and it would be brief you know but the little instances like that were like dude what are they doing <laughs> what are they doing in post production and maybe there was some kind of like translation stuff going on maybe i maybe they felt like for american audiences they would need to fill in gaps a little bit more and add in some extra dialogue i don't know what was going on but something was up and it was it was a real distraction and uh and not only that but there was just a little bit of a tendency in the adr for it to sound like japanese anime where you would have a voice actor the way a voice actor is going to approach animation or say audio drama is going to involve just a little bit of exaggeration of everything, just a little bit more inflection in everything. Because even in animation, when you have visuals, you know there's still only so much subtlety you can show because there's only you know because yeah you just can't show the same subtlety as in a real human performance. And so they amp up the emotions and the expressiveness a bit uh, to compensate for that. And then of course with no visuals and audio drama, that's of course what you're going to hear as well. It felt like in a number of instances the ADR was being recorded in the style that one would record uh, dialogue for audio drama or maybe not audio drama but, uh, but, but anime. And they would also sometimes in the recording capture some of those anime sounds. It wasn't as frequent as I hear it in anime but little things like oh like those little breathing noises, whatever they are, that like, I don't know anyone in real life that makes those noises. Um, and so anyway, it, uh, it was rough. It was rough for me. Um, as far as like the stunts and visuals go, 
this was the same kind of Jackie Chan stuff, you know? You, you would expect him to, at some point, get his hands on some kind of cloth-like material and get tangled up on, in it and do kung fu while he's tangled up in things, you know? Um, so it's that, and it's, it's just in a different, slightly sci-fi setting, which, by the way, by the, way the sci-fi se- setting... I was really having trouble figuring out, like, what is going on? This seems to be a modern world, but the villains have, like, a... Not a Death Star, but, you know, in Star Wars, that big, almost arrow-head-shaped massive ship? They have one of those <laughs> in this movie. Looks almost identical to whatever that uh, the, that carrier, that starship carrier, whatever it is in Star Wars is. Um, the villains owned one of those. They cruise around the world in that. And they also wear, like... Tron Legacy type costumes with like black leather and little like uh, light lit up strips and uh, there's kind of like a villainess who's like the main lieutenant of the big bad and she looks like a character from the Matrix the Ma- specifically I would say like the Matrix Reloaded and you know in that in the Matrix there's kind of context for that when someone gets awakened from their their life in the Matrix and they become aware of their surroundings then their appearance changes to represent the kind of like uh, power and uh, you know sophistication or whatever just this this uh, different status that they have but I could not think of why in the world this character would be dressed the way that she was whenever she goes out and does her missions for the big bad and stuff it just didn't it didn't make any and she stands out so much from the other normal people that are dressed normally in the world and it was it was weird it was it felt like you know like it was a creative decision that was more about oh this would be cool let's make the villain look cool like this you know but it didn't have any kind of like logic as to why in this in this world would she be dressed that way it was ah, i don't know i was lots of stuff i was struggling with um so that and the humor was really like taking me out of the movie a lot um the visual effects also really contribute to the kid movie vibe because they look like they are produced on a smaller budget they just have a lower quality um and so it just it felt very you know like uh, I don't want to go as far as to say that it felt like Power Rangers. It wasn't that it wasn't that much like looking like a kid movie, but definitely in that direction. Um yeah. Um okay, so you know, was there anything were there any themes that might stimulate worthwhile conversation uh on moral, spiritual or philosophical matters? I don't know. There's a father-daughter something going on in the themes, but it's kind of undermined by a choice that the father makes early on in this girl's life to basically be separated from her. And I'm just like, why? You didn't have to do that. That just felt like a contrived thing to create a conflict and a difficult situation to overcome in this movie, you know? And I'm just like, whoo, boy. Um, So I, I don't really feel like I need to say more about this movie, except it is not what the trailer, you know, seemed to indicate that it would be. It was not a little kind of like indie or foreign movie gem that has maybe been overlooked. I think that for people that maybe already enjoy the style of anime and aren't bothered by the humor, but maybe even like that kind of over-the-top humor mixed in with, uh, you know, some outlandish character designs that they are really taking seriously and stuff in the context of the story even though they're outlandish, you know. So I think I think that there maybe is potential for someone who enjoys anime to like this movie, but it is definitely not for me. Now, I have no idea what your tastes are in movies, but if I were a time traveler, I'd go back in time and say, Psh! 
Vader. Oh man, skip it, skip it. The trailer uh, just lied to you. It li- <laughs> lied. Uh, and if you must inflict your, this movie on on yourself, then do it with no subtitles. Because just like in the Super NES days of JRPGs, you can fill in the gaps with your imagination. Um, and uh, it'll work a lot better. Remember when when they added voice acting and suddenly those lines were being chosen and performed in a way by an actor in a way that like totally was grating? And remember when animation started getting more sophisticated and and yet they kept, they they still kept doing the -the over-the-top kind of like uh, body movements and stuff in uh, JRPGs in the PS2 era? That's the kind of roughness we're talking about here, Pater. So you want to turn off the subtitles so that you just don't even understand what's being said when they're speaking in a non-English language. And you can just kind of like try to imagine what they're saying and it'll be better in your head that way than uh, than what you're hearing. Um, And you'll get enough. You'll You'll still be able to follow the movie. Um, cause I did that. I turned off the subtitles for most of the movie. There was only two scenes that I was like, ah, better back it up, turn subtitles on. There's a little bit of exposition there that I, I can tell is important and turn it back off again. That will make it somewhat tolerable for you, Pater. But, uh, really you should just skip it. Just, <laughs> just skip it. It's rated R for violence and some language. I want to remind you guys to go check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POS, TOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. For more information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Our friends over at speculativefaith.com are lending us another article. This one, titled C.S. Lewis Was Right, written by Rebecca Luella Miller and published on August 20th, 2018. Miller writes, C.S. Lewis has many quotable quotes, and among them is one that capsulizes the point and purpose of fantasy. When he was a boy, Lewis grew to love mythology. Years later, when he was struggling as an atheist against Christianity, he came to realize that the gospel is the true myth, the story of the real hero, the one who rescues us. In addition, he came to a place he called joy in his autobiography, a place that surprised him because it was unplanned and unexpected a place that filled him with deep satisfaction, but at the same time with a thirst, a longing that the experience could continue. In Mere Christianity, he elaborated on this place. This is the world for which we were actually created. Lewis wrote, The Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, 
and, on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. End quote. As it turns out, author V.E. Schwab, in her talk In Search of Doors, given at the 2018 J.R.R. Tolkien Lecture on Fantasy Literature at Pembroke College, Oxford, echoed Lewis's thoughts, though she likely hasn't read them. After all, she began her talk by saying she had not read Tolkien. Rather, her gateway into fantasy was Harry Potter. I imagine generations of writers will hereafter point to J.K. Rowling as the great influence for their love of fantasy, but that's beside the point. Schwab, in her talk, expressed the same concept of desire for something which can't be satisfied in this world. She said, quote, I was the kind of child who scoured the piled stone hills behind my grandmother's house in Tahoe, looking for cracks shaped like doorways, grooves shaped like keyholes. I would run my hands over the rocky surface and try to remember a magic I'd never known. A password I convinced myself I'd simply forgotten. I told myself that if I could just remember the right word, the door would open, and I would find that other world I was so convinced was there. That was my youth spent looking for doors. Not because I was unhappy. I had the kind of loving upbringing that registers in your memory as a painting instead of a film, a still life. My mother is a dreamer, and my father is a diabetic, and aside from her occasional outbursts and his occasional episodes, it was a perfectly stable, if rather solitary, childhood. I searched for ways out not because I was miserable or lost, but because I couldn't shake the feeling that there was more, that the world was bigger and stranger and more magical than the one I could see. I suppose in some ways it was my version of faith, a belief in something you cannot see, cannot prove, but you search for it all the same. End quote. And that's from In Search of Doors, as reproduced by Tor.com. As Lewis so astutely said all those years ago, we have these desires that can't be fulfilled in this world because we were made for the more that Schwab describes. Lewis, however, also cautioned that we should not set our affections on the copy, on the pretend country of Narnia, instead of on the real country to which Narnia points. We as readers and writers can and should look for more. Part of the wonder of fantasy is discovering a world like Hogwarts or Middle-earth that transports us. But those are signposts, not the real thing. And that is the caution we should always keep in front of us. Because Lewis was right about our desires and what surprises us and what we are so often tempted to do with our longings. Once again, that article, C.S. Lewis Was Right, by Rebecca Luella Miller. Uh, you can find that article and a bunch more like it over at speculativefaith.com or speculativefaith.lorehaven.com. Data collection complete. Activating Usenet 1.0.
Tim O'Donnell, the general, general administrator of Christian Geek Central, and I are doing some planning for the future and are interested in doing some collaboration with other Christian content creators. Naturally, I hope to do some things with those in our own CGC network that haven't been on the show much before, but I also want to hear from you guys. What other Christian geek-oriented communities, sites, or individual creators do you enjoy that you might be interested in seeing some kind of a Christian Geek Central collaboration happen with? Uh, so you can send me an email at PAE T-E-R at spiritblade.com or uh, leave a comment in various places that you're finding Christian Geek Central stuff. I'm uh, getting better at <laughs> at uh, keeping track of all that. Uh, let's see here. There is a ton of content guys rolling out all the time from Christian Geek Central. Movie and video game reviews, an ongoing in-depth Bible study with specific geek ac- application. Oh man. Uh, Christian Geek Industry News, gaming live streams, and a bunch more. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help make sure that all that content keeps going and growing into the future. Just visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Productions, where you can find out all about the rewards and exclusive content for patrons. Uh, As a reminder, guys, our summer sale is still running over at spiritblade.com until August 31st. You can get any or all parts of our Spiritblade audio drama trilogy for 20% off. More details at spiritblade.com. I will add, though, uh, that, you know, we launched the Patreon after this sale began at the beginning of the summer. And while that sale is still really good, if you want, if you're just looking for one of those uh, individual audio dramas, the best value by far, if you're going to buy all three, uh, is to become a $15 patron for just one month at patreon.com slash Productions. That tier gives you access to all all of uh, all the content in our audio catalogs so that actually includes both versions of the uh, Spirit Blade trilogy so the, the legacy edition versions and the and the special edition versions um the special edition if you didn't know is like the the pseudo musical version uh of of the audio dramas if you're into that kind of thing um and then there's uh, like the the song bundles that go along with the special editions and the there's a ton of t- hours and hours and hours of behind the scenes special features and stuff that are all part of the archives that uh, haven't been up on the website for years all of that you can download all at once one and done um if you're a patron for just one month at the 15 dollars level you can just go nuts downloading all that stuff and it's yours forever um so yeah the, again patreon.com slash spirit blade productions if you want to take advantage of that at youtube.com slash christian geek central this week i've put up my video on uh, sexual sin in the bible which is uh myself and john wilkerson talking through the book of proverbs and uh, just kind of what we were observing as we came to the topic of sexual sin as proverbs begins dealing with it a bit and some of our thoughts on on uh, uh how christians typically deal with the 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 uh, topic of sexual sin and and we posed the uh, the question whether or not we emphasize it maybe too much too little and we kind of dialogue about that for uh, a little bit so again that video sexual sin and the bible uh let's see why we dream of other worlds is the uh, video version of the speculative faith article that I'm sharing in this episode of the podcast. You can see the video version uh, on our YouTube channel. And uh, finally, my Bleeding Steel review you can get at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central, including the opening song that I sang, 
which you might be able to guess after hearing my review, but uh, you'll only know for certain if you go check out that video at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central. While you're there, if you want to like, share, subscribe, that would be just a wonderful way to support me, and uh, hit, hit that notification bell if you want to be sure that you get notified every time a new video comes out. Actually, I, I'm I'm not quite representing the situation accurately. I was going to say, if you want to be sure that you are notified, um, the, the scuttlebutt <laughs> is that YouTube has been doing kind of a crappy job of actually notifying people when they have clicked a notification bell saying, I want to be notified, and YouTube is like being very inconsistent. I've heard that not just from people um, who have clicked that that icon on the Christian Geek Central channel. I've been hearing that from like big YouTube creators uh, that that's going on with their uh, viewers as well. So, but at least you'll have a shot <laughs> at being notified uh, and not missing the next video if you click that bell. And of course, I'd be very grateful for that. Um, mark your calendar, guys. Friday, August thirty first. That's a week from um, today. As I'm uh, getting ready to. to to publish this uh, podcast um, Friday, August 31st from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific time is my all time favorite games live stream. The first one of these I did last year and I'm planning on making it a, a tradition every year where I will uh, take a live stream and use that to specifically play and, uh, and talk about some of my favorite games of all time. The list is a is I don't want to say it's like crazy large, but it's much too large to you know really play all the games in one uh, you know four hour live stream or even a six hour live stream. I am shortening the live streams by the way, guys. Uh, you might have noticed that when I mentioned five p.m. to nine p.m. I had been doing in the past from four to ten p.m. Um, but I was just kind of seeing diminishing returns in terms of when people would tune in. It seemed to be that people would largely cluster in in the middle there, and I thought uh, with the monthly live streams that I'd like to start doing um, for uh, our, our patrons at the five dollar tier and uh, up, um, I wanted to just manage my time uh, responsibly, and so I felt like that would be one way that I could just uh, shave off just a little bit there, even though I only do these streams like quarterly. It's certainly not uh, <laughs> saving me that much time. But um, but anyway, yeah, so um, I, there's not enough time in a single live stream to cover all these games. So each year, I'm just kind of picking games from my list and playing through them in kind of chronological order from when I would have discovered them for the first time in life. Uh, last year, what did I play? I can't even remember, but this year... Uh, I'm going to play Final Fantasy on the NES, um, which is one of the first games on my list. Because I I, order, I don't order my all-time favorite games list in like an order of like this, you know, like 10 to 1, you know, least to favorite or whatever. It's I, I put it in chronological order on that list and just I don't have them. I don't have my babies compete with each other. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, my, uh, I'm going to play Final Fantasy for the NES. Um, Dragon Quest VIII for the PS2, which might be of interest to you if you're curious about the upcoming Dragon Quest XI, as it is very much inspired, based on everything I've seen, by Dragon Quest VIII and what that game was like. In fact, in some ways, it just looks like a high-res version of, of Dragon Quest VIII. So anyway, if, you're, uh, if that game, Dragon Quest XI, is on your radar at all, and then you might want to tune in and check out as I play a bit of Dragon Quest VIII on the PS2. I'm also going to play some of Dragon Age Origins for the Xbox 360 and new to the list this year. And I, I wonder if this will happen, if, if like maybe at least one game will get added to this list every year. I don't know. This year I was shocked to be able to say 
gosh, yeah, two games. These two games I'm adding to my list this year. Uh, the first one, if you've tuned into streams in the past and noticed you know, that I've been playing a lot of it, <laughs> is Monster Hunter World, which I was really shocked to be able to like step outside of myself for a moment and realize, wow, no, I really do not only love this game, but it has opened me up to the possibility of other types of games, which is something else that's common to a lot of the games on my all-time favorite games list, that I not only really enjoyed them, but they kind of broadened my horizons in some way uh, to be open to other types of games. And uh, and the second game that I'm adding to my all-time favorite games list this year is No Man's Sky, um, which, man, I have, since the next update came out uh, about a month ago or so, I have doubled my playtime. I had close to 60 hours uh, before the next update came out, and then after that update, uh, I, I've played it for 60 more. And uh, I, I've slowed down just a little bit, but I, I, I think, I mean, like, I'm, I'm totally going to be playing this game a lot for a long time, I think. So right now, both Monster Hunter World and No Man's Sky Next, specifically, are in the running for Game of the Year. They are, they are the ones that are... F- fighting each other. We'll see what happens when Dragon Quest XI and Spider-Man on the PS4 come out in the coming weeks. But anyway, um, yeah, that's I'm looking forward to that live stream a whole bunch. And plus, on top of that, I'm allowing the patrons over at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions uh, to help me decide on a bonus game, a patron's choice game. Uh, so if you'd like information on how to become a Spirit Blade insider, uh, visit patreon.com slash productions. A patron of any level is a Spirit Blade insider, and all of the insiders will be given a voice as uh, I try to select uh, an extra game. I'll give uh, some. I'll have some kind of a vote or a poll or something. I'm not exactly sure what form it's going to take, but I'm going to give as much power as I can to the patrons to uh, to make that choice and uh, and see that game played, whatever it is, on the live stream next Friday. All right, what else? What else? Um, I'm not quite ready to plug Twitter. I've got notes here, like oh, like sh- plug Facebook, plug Twitter. We're right now. We're kind of like in the process. Uh, of of figuring out what we're going to do, of polishing up some of our social media stuff. Uh, me and uh, Tim O'Donnell and a, and, a, and a few other guys uh, kind of getting our ducks in a row a little bit. And once I have something to direct you to, <laughs> then I'll do that. Um, I am getting more in the habit of, I, well, I'm trying to make it my habit every day to check Twitter. Right now, I just basically use Twitter to uh, to kind of like put out links of the the content that I that uh, I'm putting out, videos or podcasts or you know whatever the crap. I don't. I very rarely use it for anything else, and I don't know that that will change. But one thing I'm trying to get better at is at least checking in so that if someone like tweets at me or whatever I know or if there's some kind of notification or whatever I can you know respond. So I'm just trying to add that to my ritual to just be a little bit more connected. Oops, bumping my microphone here. Um, but, uh, all that blabbing to say, you know, (laughs) you won't notice any changes yet on the Twitter or Facebook. Uh, so I don't even know why I brought it up. Jeez, Peter, what the crap? Um, (laughs) that's it. Let's move things along. You have fought well, human, but I am not defeated yet. Blah, 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 whatever. You're going down, monkey boy. Ah, you're kidding me. Critical failure. Sorry, Peter. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet you are.
Don't forget to draw a card from the random disaster deck. Yeah, I know. Shut up, shut up. Spontaneous head implosion again. <sighs> yes. Oh, crap. All right, I'm going to give you my top five co-op slash solo games uh, from Gen Con 2018. This was a hard list to put together. First off, you should know, I didn't go to Gen Con 2018. Uh, I've, I've been there once, way back, it was, actually it was about, it was 10 years ago, actually, exactly 10 years ago, the one time that I went to Gen Con, um, and I really enjoyed it, but it wasn't something I felt like I would need to do again. It's much easier to just uh, read about the announcements and stuff, watch some video coverage from the main outlets, and then decide what I'm interested in. So I spent, uh, gosh, hours, hours, easily maybe six hours trying to uh, comb through all the coverage I could, read articles, and just find everything I could on the internet about uh, the games that were released at Gen Con 2018 or that were featured in some way at Gen Con 2018 that are designed to either be played cooperatively or as solo experiences. Um, above and beyond that, you should know that uh, I, I have particular interests. This is not a list where I'm trying to figure out what's what people in general are going to enjoy, what most solo co-op gamers are going to enjoy. No, this is my list. This is what I'm interested in. Uh, but hopefully by giving you some background on my preferences that can help you filter what you hear from me in the rest of this uh, presentation. So uh, I tend to like serious games, not, you know, like light, happy, fun games <laughs> or whatever fun, quote unquote, uh, but like serious games. I like games with a campaign. That's a very important feature for me uh, in most solo and co-op games. I like an ongoing world and story that I can come back to and build on. Uh, even better, I like to have characters that can grow and advance and change and get stronger and better over the course of repeated gameplay sessions. And so, as you might imagine, I am primarily looking for games that fit a sort of dungeon crawl type of format. It doesn't have to be literally a crawl through a dungeon, but I like games that feature one or more heroes that are going through an environment, they are defeating enemies, they are becoming stronger as a result of that, either through gaining experience or gaining loot. I like that progression to be pretty steady throughout, and then I like for them to fight some big bad at the end in a climactic conflict, you know. So that's the type of thing that I typically look for, although on my list this year, uh, I, uh, a lot of the number of them are not that kind of game. This was very different. Last year I had, ten, it was a top 10 list and I had some kind of honorable mentions, you know, that, that I threw on there at the beginning as well. This year I struggled to come up with just five games that I could genuinely say to myself, I can imagine a scenario where I would possibly buy that, you know. And that's really how I wanted to make these lists, where I could see at least some possibility under certain circumstances where I would want to fork out money to buy these games. I didn't want to create a longer list just for the sake of having a top 10 list where there would be a number of games on there that are like, ah, eh, yeah, it looks kind of interesting, but I, but, you know, I know that I'm, there, there's zero chance of me actually forking out money for it. So every game on this short list uh, of five at least has some possibility in the future that I would put down money for it. We'll see. Uh, all right. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Number five. Boom! 
The description for Shadows of Brimstone Forbidden Fortress over at BoardGameGeek.com reads, Shadows of, Rib- Shadows of Brimstone Forbidden Fortress is a new dungeon crawl adventure board game in the Shadows of Brimstone series. It can either be played on its own, as a standalone game, or it can be used in combination with any and all of the other Shadows of Brimstone products. It is fully compatible in every way. Players take on the role of courageous heroes fighting back a tide of evil creatures and demons that have invaded their world. Play as the stalwart samurai warrior, using your mastery of the katana and your bushido code of honor to defeat your foes in combat. The nimble and deadly ninja assassin, using stealth and speed as weapons. The traveling monk, a member of an ancient Yamabushi order devoted to fighting supernatural creatures wherever they may be found. And the powerful and mystic sorceress, who wields elemental magic to crush her enemies. Set in feudal Japan, the heroes must brave the Forbidden Fortress, a feudal castle overrun with all manner of demons, ghosts, and monsters inspired by Japanese myth and legend. The massive oni, red beast-like ogres wielding giant clubs, stalk the halls, while deadly Tengu swordmasters descend from the skies with their raven wings to attack the heroes. Legions of samurai dishonored dead rise from the grave, and writhing acidic tentacles burst from the floor to spit acid and feed on the heroes with their razor-sharp teeth. But at the heart of the fortress lie the most terrifying and epic foes of all. The Hario... Oh man, I've been butchering these bad up to this point. It's only getting worse. The Harionago, a ghostly demonic woman held aloft by the twisting strands of her animated hair, which is also used to entangle and slash at the heroes with its vicious barbs, and the towering living statue possessed by darkness to break away from its posts, wreaking havoc and smashing the castle it was once built to protect. Uh, this one, I believe, is on Kickstarter. I don't believe it actually has a uh, like a retail release that is coming up soon. Um, I'm not sure if any of these games actually have come to uh, retail. I think it's largely been a Kickstarter-driven series. Um, and it's not historically really been my thing. This actually, this game barely made it onto this list. I almost made a top four list, <laughs> but I was like, "Oh, I should really try to find a five, if I, you know, a fifth one, if I can." And this one, um, the it's a weird kind of a exception to what I would normally do with this list. But anyway, um, I it would this one. I, I I don't think I would buy. I don't think I would buy. But it kind of squeezes its way onto this list because it leads me to think that maybe I would buy one of the base sets in the Shadows of Brimstone series. Um, the Feudal Japan, it's just not really ever done anything for me. I know it's kind of gaining some interest and steam in the video game world and now apparently in the board game world as well. The the component quality looks great from what I've seen. And it, and it looks like another hugely rich experience as the uh, base sets of Shadows of Brimstone are, are known to be. Um, I, I'm very interested in the original base sets in a lot of ways, but reportedly there's lots of cumbersome dice rolling. I've watched some play sessions and some reviews where it's just like, oh my gosh, there's a ton of dice rolling going on. I think I could mitigate that a little bit by rolling more dice at once. Like, so for example, you in combat you would roll basically to see if you are successful in you know making a, a, an attack, uh, and then you would roll again to see like if you actually do damage. 
Um, and I don't think there's a third rule in combat, but there's at least two in there. And so, you know, you could mitigate that by saying, okay, I'll get two different colored sets of dice. And this, you know, kind of like when you're playing D&D uh, and you roll that 20-sider. But to, to save time, you're like, you know what, I'll just grab my damage dice so that if the hit goes through, I will have already rolled and I can immediately look at my damage. And so I, I'm hoping that there's some ways that you can kind of mitigate the cumbersome dice rolling that way. I've not played the games myself, but based on what I've seen, I think I could probably, you know, help to minimize some of that that uh, annoyance of a bunch of dice rolling. Um, but one thing that I don't know how to get around is the assembly of the miniatures. Unless I bought a set that someone had already put together, but, oh, I don't know, I ugh, I don't like to buy my board games used. Um, so that would be uh, a, a tough hurdle to jump over. But reportedly, these original base sets take a lot of assembly um, and that you need to do with glue. And that's, like, not my scene at all. So, uh... But but the fact that this series is still running right now and has this new expansion right now seems to really have steam behind it. It doesn't seem to be going away. Um, makes me think that maybe there will be a more retail-friendly reprint of the first two base sets that will not require as much assembly of the minis. In fact, I already heard that the expansions that came out for those original core sets, the minis were uh, much easier to get put together. I think you did, did still have to do some gluing. But, you know, that's that's a, a sign that potentially, you know, that they could do something like that in the future for those original base sets. I don't know. Uh, so this one, you know, yes, I can see myself potentially putting down money for a game in the Shadows of Brimstone series. I really doubt it would be Forbidden Fortress, but, you know, you never know. So uh, it's basically just serving as a reminder to me that this series exists, that it seems to be doing well, and so I should keep my eye on it to see what they might do with it in the future to make it a little bit more uh, accessible to to someone like me that maybe doesn't want to do quite as much dice rolling. I do love chucking dice, but doesn't do want to do quite as... you got to roll dice for, like, almost everything that happens in this game. Um, so maybe uh, something that's you know, can mitigate that a little bit and... Uh, help minimize the problems with the miniature assemblage that I really don't want to do. Number four. <laughs> on BoardGameGeek.com, holding on the troubled life of Billy Kerr uh, has a description that reads, All my life I've kept my mouth shut, out of loyalty, out of fear, out of shame. And look where it's got me, lying here with my rear end hanging out of a blue gown, all you lot fussing around me. Sure, that's no way to live. No way to die. Holding on, The Troubled Life of Billy Kerr is a cooperative game where players work as nursing staff tasked with providing care for the terminally ill. Your latest patient has been rushed in following a massive heart attack on a flight from Sydney to London. When the game begins, all you know is this. His name is Billy Kerr, he is 60 years old, and he has been given days to live. Players must work together to provide Billy with appropriate care, responding to medical emergencies while gaining his trust. Over ten fully replayable scenarios, you will need to piece together a lifetime of memories while being drawn deeper into his troubled past. As you discover more about Billy, can you help him find the courage required to confront the three regrets that keep him holding on? Dealing with themes of dying and regret... Holding on, The Troubled Life of Billy Kerr invites players to experience the extraordinary life of an ordinary person in their final days. 
this is really interesting. In an interview with the developer, they said that basically they want to be a part of taking board games where comics started to go in like the late 70s and the mid 80s and stuff with comics like Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns and stuff where where comics were able to start touching on these um, more grounded psychological issues and tell these more dramatic kinds of stories and tap into a little bit more of real human drama that we just experience as the result of just the broken world that we live in. And this game is about this character named Billy Kerr, and you are uh, part of a team of nurses that are basically trying to help him hold on and recover. He's been given just like days to live, so I'm not sure if you're actually trying to just make him comfortable for as long as you can, or if you are actually trying to help him recover. But the gameplay basically involves you monitoring his condition and trying to help him both physically, medically, uh, and on a more like kind of a emotional level, or just trying to, uh, uh, to, to, to reach out to kind of his spirit, for lack of a, another word, and kind of help him uh, develop a, a spirit to live in some sense. He's got these problems, that these uh, regrets, these big regrets that he's experienced in life. And it seems to be those are the things that are causing him to kind of hold on and not let go. He's just kind of haunted by them. And so you're kind of going back and forth between helping him um, get enough strength physically so that he can kind of interact with you, as I understand it, um, so that you can hear some of these stories of where... Uh, where he's been in life, what he's experienced, and and what some of those things are that that might be haunting him and causing him to either be you know holding on and continue his suffering, um, or um, that are preventing him from really getting better. I, that's what's not clear to me is what what the end game is as far as what are you trying to accomplish with Billy Kerr apart from learning what these stories are. And the the worse off his health is, the the less you're going to be able to hear or hold on to uh, and retain these memories that he's sharing. Um, but the the, the, the kind of uh, climax of the game. Um, I'm not sure what it involves as far as his physical health, but the goal of the game is to really understand where he's been in life, what these things are, these regrets are that are haunting him, and in some way bring resolution to that. Uh, and that's a really interesting concept to me. I like it just from for starters uh, that it's bringing some real kind of like drama into the board game experience. And I'm intrigued by that. I'm not sure... Uh, under like if, if if I would regularly want to play something like that, but I can imagine a scenario where like you know maybe we have some friends from church over and I just want to ha- introduce them to an interesting board game experience you know where we could be uh, playing this game and it would stimulate conversation about some of these real life issues you know uh, and regrets and what do we do with that and specifically from a a biblical Christian standpoint you know what do we do with our regrets and so I think that there's a lot of potential for this to be a really meaningful experience in addition to being a, kind of a, a challenging, fun, game, puzzly type experience that you do with a group. I don't know that I would be interested in playing this one solo. I imagine you could, uh, but I don't know if that in particular would interest me. 
it also looks like a game that, say, unlike the Shadows of Brimstone games, which come with all these components and art, and you know, and so you can see why they have a hefty price tag of like a hundred bucks or more for each of those base sets. This I I couldn't find a price listed for it, but the components look pretty minimal. That's not to say that they look bad. I think the art is uh, subtle and uh, clean, but also very nice looking, and uh, and I can see it being kind of moving to to look at. So I think the the art and the components do exactly what they need to do for me thematically to engage with this. Um, and it just so happens that it looks like that doesn't isn't going to cost a lot. Uh, this looks like it could be a game that would only cost 20 or $30, you know. Um, so that, I think, helps a lot as well in my likelihood of, of actually purchasing this game at some point. What I do wonder about is the drama itself and whether or not it will hang on um, a particular acceptance of a, of a certain worldview. You know, there are some video games that have really delivered these dramatic stories uh, where we're intended to really invest in the goals that the character has. But, you know, if you come from a perspective where you look at that character's goals and and what we're supposed to be rooting for them to be able to accomplish, and you look at that goal and you say... That actually, I, I disagree with that being a virtuous thing to pursue, then the drama falls flat. And you can even find yourself in a place where you're like, ah, I kind of feel like I'm being preached at or whatever. So um, I've seen that happen with some games that embrace drama in the video game space. Uh, I'm wondering whether or not this will kind of go in, you know, in that direction or if it will tap into... Um, aspects of human life and drama that really everyone can relate to regardless of uh, what their position might be on on certain moral issues. And unfortunately, I I can't know what they're going to do with that without spoiling it for myself. So that does make this one a bit of a risky purchase. It could be a really cool uh, cathartic experience of some kind, or it could be kind of like, oh man, that sucks that they went in that direction with the story and with what values they're preaching or whatever, you know. So, uh, But I'm still very, very interested. I'll definitely be checking out some reviews for this one when it's released. Number three. The description for Maiden's Quest over at BoardGameGeek.com reads, In Maiden's Quest, a maiden, tired of waiting to be rescued, takes it upon herself to fight her enemies and escape. Maidens use cards from their hands to attempt to defeat an enemy or obstacle. As you play, the game's difficulty grows as enemies of increasing ferocity become active. An innovative turn-and-flip mechanism allows each card to represent up to four items, encounters, or allies. This fun and easy-to-learn game takes 10 to 30 minutes if you play non-stop. However, since each encounter is resolved separately, you can stop and stow away the deck at any time, returning to play when and where you left off at a later time. Since no surface is required, you can play while standing in line to get your morning coffee, while you wait for an appointment, or while sitting on the couch at home. Contents include enough for true solo play, co-op, or competitive two-player games, and with multiple copies, more players can join in. You can play this game by holding this deck in your hand 
without having any table space at all. So they advertise it as a game that you can play for just a few minutes at a time while you're like in line, you know, waiting for your food order or, you know, the DMV or whatever the heck you're doing. Um, and so it, you basically have this deck of cards and you fan out a few cards at a time and there'll be like actions that you can take and the, the cards are very modular it's kind of hard to uh, describe um so i'd recommend that you with as with all these games uh, i got a lot of great information at boardgamegeek.com so i'd recommend you go there and let that be kind of a starting point for digging into this game and understanding a little bit better but these cards are all kind of modular and so you know as you're uh, you, you'll be like flipping through your cards until you encounter an enemy, okay? And then once you encounter that enemy, then you're going to fan out your cards and see what uh, abilities you have on, on nearby cards in your deck to deal with this enemy. And then once you successfully deal with that enemy, you'll rotate it or you'll flip, you'll flip it over and it will become something else, maybe a reward or something like that, but something about uh, your deck will change at that point. And so... <laughs> You're, as you're playing through this game and going through these cards, you're you're constantly kind of like turning them and changing their function, or uh, or you're flipping them over to their backside, which has a totally different. You know, it doesn't just have some kind of static backside with the game's logo on it. No, the backside is used for uh, totally different sets of functions and stuff. And so they've packed uh, a ton in this little game that fits in your pocket and it's a can be played can be played completely as a solo experience um you can also play it like i mean i think you can play it co-op as well there's even like this weird random almost like pokemon go <laughs> aspect uh where if you come across someone else that has this game then you can ask them to help you out in something that you're facing, you know, that, that you're maybe not quite able to tackle yourself or whatever, you just want a little help on or whatever. And then you can, you know, after they've helped you, you can get a signature from them, from them to put on one of your cards, which I'm like, the whole legacy movement of, you know, marking up your cards and your boards and stuff. I've never come around to that. <laughs> but but if you get enough signatures, then it, you know, powers up this particular card in your, in your deck. And so it's this interesting little kind of... Uh, I almost called it a dungeon crawl. You're actually trying to get out of the dungeon, if anything. Uh, but it's, you know, like this dungeon crawl type experience where your character is encountering obstacles and enemies and growing in their strength, you know, over the course of the game. The novelty of it. Uh, man, it's it's one that I'm really going to want to look into some more, uh, see a number of reviews on. And it, I think it's got a retail price of only $20. So, I mean, it's it's not a huge risk. And right now, it's not an insta-buy for me. I'm definitely very interested. But right now, I'm still making my way uh, through One Deck Dungeon, which I bought uh, about a year and a half ago. And there's still an expansion for One Deck Dungeon that uh, that I want to get at some point once I've kind of played, you know, gotten as, the, as much play as I can out of the base set. Um, I'm not on the go very much. I work from home. We travel every now and then, but I usually bring, you know, my video game stuff with me and so I usually have plenty to do, but I do like having one tabletop game that I can play solo when I'm, you know, out of town and I'm in the mood for a more of a board game, card game type of experience. So, right now One Deck Dungeon is plenty for me. This isn't so uh Maiden's Quest isn't something that I feel like, oh man, that'll really fill a, a hole in my collection. But once I've gotten 
pretty much all the fun I can out of One Deck Dungeon and, and its expansion. Maiden's Quest, I think, is the game that I'm going to be coming back to to fill that uh, that vacation travel game slot. Number two. At BoardGameGeek.com, the description for Comanauts reads, Dr. Martin Strobel, the greatest mind of our generation, lies in a coma. His Mobius ring invention promised to change the world, but has instead given us our greatest disaster. Meant to provide the world with unlimited clean energy, the Mobius ring malfunctioned, bathing Dr. Strobel in radiation and creating a singularity that threatens to consume the world. We need him back, and the only way to revive him from his coma is to enter his subconscious and free him from the demons found within. Comanauts is the second installment in Jerry Hawthorne's adventure book system following Stuffed Fables. This game of exploration and danger builds on the mechanisms first introduced in that earlier title, providing a new experience for more mature players. Race against time to revive Dr. Strobel by exploring his tormented mind. As players work together to uncover the secrets of the Doctor's subconscious, they will follow his inner child across 11 different coma zones. There they attempt to locate and overcome the inner demon that holds Dr. Strobel hostage. Assume the role of 22 unique avatars as you explore the dangers and secrets of each world locked inside the Doctor's dream. Can you free Dr. Strobel from his own mind before it's too late? Comanauts is a follow-up from Plaid Hat Games' um, Stuffed Fables game, which was released about a year ago and was on my list last year, actually. Uh, I really loved what they were doing with the components there. It was a game designed to be played, I think, with kids and parents, and it was made with kind of layers to it so that parents could appreciate some of the things that they were touching on as well, but it was a game about uh, defeating nightmares and things that kids are scared of and stuff, and and so it's it's really struck me as a really sweet kind of touching and also kind of haunting and beautiful looking game. Um, I never got around to buying it because uh, I've been playing Hero Quest with my boys who right now are uh, 7 and 10 and are going to be soon 8 and 11. And really, Hero Quest, as simple as it is, is still maybe just complex enough or they are just kind of slow they like to add in role playing and stuff you know and and you know uh, kind of filling out some things some of the flavor a little bit in our in our gameplay sessions uh in a way that slows down those sessions and makes getting through a dungeon take like twice as long as it would take if i were playing with someone who was a teenager um so I realized when looking at Stuffed Fables that it had like a runtime of, I don't know, 60 to 120 minutes. I, I was like, nah, I, I can't do it. I, you know, I, it just won't, it looks like a great game. It won't make its way to the table with my boys. I probably wouldn't buy this just to play by myself. But Comanauts is the follow-up to Stuffed Fables in that it uses the same adventure book concept where you the the board is basically this spiral bound book and you're turning these kind of thick pages and you're putting your figures on those those thick pages and uh, using them as your board and so you go from one scenario to the next and in kind of like a campaign kind of style it's completely cooperative and uh, you're working together and once again the components the art uh it looks really cool it definitely has a little bit more of a cartoony vibe than i would typically lean toward in you know my game selection 
action, but uh, but it's still like looks serious enough, and uh, and the theme is really interesting to me. Basically, there's some kind of big disaster that's facing the world, and they need this one scientist to fix the problem. But the problem is he's in a coma. And so we have to figure out how we're going to get him out of the coma. And they have this kind of Inception-style technology where people who happened to have their uh, brains attuned similarly enough to, you know, to the, the, the victim in this situation are able to, with the aid of maybe technology or drugs or I don't know what, <laughs> enter into that person's dream state and interact with it in some way that can help them potentially come out of this coma. Um, I believe that's what they're trying to do. I don't think they're just trying to retrieve the information. I think they're trying to help this guy in a, in a very similar way to uh, the troubled life of Billy Kerr, holding on the troubled life of Billy Kerr. They're trying. They're going in and trying to help this scientist, this comatose scientist, deal with these problems that he's these psychological issues. These maybe these regrets or pains or or whatever. Uh, but he's got these things going on in his subconscious that you have to help him deal with. And so this is where they are taking kind of the same idea from stuffed fables, where you are you are taking on fears that people have or anxiety sources of anxiety or or depression or whatever that that people have in stuffed fables it was what kids typically are you know troubled by but this is going to be more about the kinds of things that adults are are troubled by and so it has um i think in term it has more maturity to its theming in that regard and because of that i can imagine that this would be a game that i would sit down and play by myself i think it's primarily designed to be played co-op you might have to have at least two hero characters but i mean i can run you know two or four or whatever is required if the game interests me enough and this one definitely looks uh interesting to me and i think like the troubled life of billy kerr there's also potential in this game to uh, in a group setting uh stimulate some worthwhile conversation you know about some of the things in life that trouble us or haunt us in some way um but at the same time this, you know, the idea of being these comanauts and going in, you're able to have, it looks like these, be in these fantastical environments and doing these fantastical deeds, you know. And so it has that fantasy, sci-fi, imaginative type of component to it that the hold on the troubled life of Billy Kerr doesn't have. Uh, and so this one can still kind of scratch that itch for adventure and fantasy and stuff. And so that's why it's higher in my list. I find it really interesting, though, that two games with such similar themes uh, are both coming out around the same time. But uh, anyway, yeah, Comanauts, very interested, um, and uh, there's a good likelihood that at some point this game would make its way into my collection unless something else uh, grabbed my attention first. Number one! And that something else could very well be Folklore the Affliction. The description for Folklore the Affliction over at BoardGameGeek.com reads, Embark on a cooperative, epic adventure that is Folklore the Affliction. Find and destroy the source of the evil spreading its claws into the heart of the land, decimating its people and resources. Free the denizens from the scourge of vampirism and lycanthropy and expand your powers and abilities. Are you a survivor or will you play as your ghost? Will you fall to the bloodlust or the taint of lycanthropy yourself? Folklore the Affliction is an expandable, ongoing horror RPG board game for one to five players that focuses on immersive storyline, strategic combat, character development, 
and intense character customization elements. Your successes and failures, encounters and challenges can affect the entire group, raising the ante and fueling interaction. Play one of six customizable and unique characters in a quest to gain lore by conquering the supernatural afflictions. Travel the land and enter dark locations where the action becomes a miniature-based dungeon crawl. Uncover deeper and more intriguing storylines as you go further into darkness in your quest to drive the evil back into the hell it came from. Dying in folklore is not the end for your character. Dead characters play on as their ghost with ethereal powers to strike down your foes from beyond the grave. You are never truly out of the action. Customizable abilities even include those that can strengthen your character in the afterlife. Now, this game was on my top 10 list uh, last year, but it was a little bit pricier on on my list last year. It was only being made available basically to the backers uh, who supported it on Kickstarter, but now it's getting a retail release. And I think that's it's a little bit unfortunate that it didn't get more attention. Uh, the only thing I found about this game was uh, like a, someone, the, the developer of the game or the publisher of the game kind of mention it in passing they didn't get it out again and talk about in detail showing the components and stuff you know so i think most of the videos that you find that show the components and the gameplay and really preview it in that sense are going to be from last year's gen con but it's really significant to me that it's getting a retail release this fall i believe it's september that folklore the affliction is coming to retail and uh it's being packaged in a way that's a little bit more retail friendly i think before they had like this big set uh that was uh, like two boxes worth of content and you know cost a bunch of money and now they've kind of broken that up uh, to to sell those boxes separately I think even some of the miniatures are being sold separately to reduce the base cost uh, so now it's going to be available on Amazon Prime for seventy dollars, uh, so that that should include free shipping since it's a prime, you know it's advertised as being part of Prime. Um, so seventy dollars with free shipping that is totally doable for a game like this, and this is totally a game that is up my alley. It's basically a gothic version of a role playing a fantasy role playing game without requiring a game master and of course you know lacking the true role playing elements that I think a lot of people like myself would play a role playing game for but other than that it's pretty much a role playing game in a box uh, that runs itself and you're making choices as you're traveling on an overworld map similar to you know gloomhaven i think um and then you have these combat encounters some of which are these these more serious encounters where you get out miniatures and stuff and it's it's a skirmish like in a dungeon or in a clearing you know on the overworld map or something like that and they have these these uh, map tiles that they bring out specifically for you to have these combat encounters on and that's where you're going to have that more traditional miniatures uh, dungeon combat you know type of experience it doesn't have really exploration that I can tell whereas say in like first edition descent or hero quest as you reveal new areas you're, you're traveling around a map you reveal new areas and new monsters get put down and stuff so there's not that sense of discovery but i think um what you you know what the that's the price that you're paying for having this more streamlined experience where you don't have to do a ton of setup for this big huge dungeon map not only that you still do get a lot of combat experiences that don't even require setup. Uh, they're, I think they're called skirmishes. I can't remember exactly what they're called, but there's these lower level, less epic kind of confrontations where you don't even get out miniatures. You get out kind of a card that represents the enemy. It's got some cool art.
artwork on it so you get a little bit of a flavor experience that way um and then you get you know your hero cards out and you're uh doing combat by uh, i can't remember if you're actually rolling dice or but there's some kind of a much more streamlined version of combat encounters so that you're still thematically and mechanically having these kind of uh very frequent combat experiences but without having to like okay let's shut down the evening for a moment you guys go get some you know go refill your drinks while i you know set up this next room and stuff like that that element seems to be almost completely removed um and there's also a bunch of choices to be made in the game um that you don't see the consequences of until much later that's something that i saw in gloomhaven that i thought was really cool and that kind of thing is is here as well where you make a choice and then the game just kind of quietly says okay well that's your choice you know and there's and you don't see the ramifications of that choice until much later uh it looks just like it's a really open game that's not near as linear as as many other games of this type might be and and it's gothic it's gothic fantasy it's got werewolves and vampires it's you know so it's like totally up my alley with being this dark fantasy you know type of experience with characters who can grow and you can choose what you know abilities they learn over the course of the campaign and this is totally my kind of game um and really the uh the the cost was a big prohibitor before and the and its availability you know so the fact that it's coming to retail uh along with um the the other main expansion that i think fleshes out a lot of the miniatures and stuff like that um there's a really i'm definitely going to be uh considering purchasing this it i'm not going to say it's an insta buy but uh it's it's got the best chance of any game on this list that i will be purchasing it this year so all right those are uh, that's that's my top five a short list i guess i did find a things to yak about though so i would love to hear what uh, your favorite solo or co-op games are that you uh saw in the coverage for gen con 2018 maybe there's something i missed that i would really like there were a number of other kind of dungeon crawly type games that i definitely considered but ultimately they had some things in them that for my preferences i was like ah no, I'm not going to really enjoy that in the long run. Um, but I would still be very interested to hear kind of what you have enjoyed seeing that was talked about at Gen Con 2018. You can leave those thoughts uh, in the comments. And then I hope you'll join us over at ChristianGeekCentral.com as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. Feedback, feedback. Give me your thoughts on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing. What should we keep? What should we change? Or what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on? I've got one of those. We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and useful as we can, but we have to hear from you to do that. You can send an email or audio file recorded on your phone to P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. And as a reminder, guys, if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you if I can. Online resources and communities are a good supplement but by nature they cannot speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful, life-giving relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that lacks Bible-based intentionality or or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic, Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. You can email me at paeter at spiritblade.com and we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together okay that's that week that we just had i don't know what it was like for you it freaking raced by for me i feel like i need some time to breathe oh my gosh 
Um, of course, every week that races by does get me closer and f- much faster, relatively speaking, or subjectively speaking, I should say, to the release of Dragon Quest Eleven. And then just five days after that, Spider-Man for the PS4, which is going to be a crazy crunch for me because I'm planning on doing a trial and error review of both of those games. That's going to be crunch-erific. Um, <laughs> so in the thick of it, uh, I, I'm going to probably have some mixed feelings, but I am looking forward to getting my hands on both of those games. Ooh, and coming this coming Tuesday before then, my current movie of the year comes out on Blu-ray. Uh, If my review of the movie Upgrade made you want to give it a try, you should be able to get your hands on it this coming Tuesday. And oh my gosh, personally, I cannot wait to see that movie again. Um, I want to thank Rebecca Luella Miller and SpeculativeFaith.com for the article they shared with us this week. Thank you very much for that. Stay tuned for DS9 Shwarma after the credits or jump back to episode 400 if you want to start from the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground podcast at SpiritBlade.com. Next week, if God allows it anyway, I will share a review of the movie Kin. I hope to someday share a review of... uh, what is it? Receptacles? Rep- replicas. <laughs> that movie was. It looks really cool. Keanu Reeves and uh, body stuff. <laughs> you, you can go watch the trailer, see what you think. But um, yeah, uh, I don't know when that's going to happen. Hopefully in the not too distant future. Uh, but anyway, yeah, next week I plan to review the movie Kin. We're going to have some Trek talk with Matt McKinney and some interesting news that has been gathering that I will be sharing on the Christian Geek Radar regarding Christian Geek oriented entertainment going on in the world and don't forget that live stream from 5 to 9 p.m pacific uh, next friday the 31st at youtube.com slash christian geek central till then guys please consider supporting the work of christian geek central and spirit blade productions and earning some fun rewards by becoming a spirit blade insider of any subscription tier at patreon.com slash spirit blade productions Thank you so much for making time for this show. I know you've got choices. I know your time is limited. So I really appreciate you uh, tuning in and listening to me blab at you. Uh, I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. The Christian Geek Central podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit SpiritBlade.com. Thank you for listening. Coming through the wormhole. The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bejor or Deep Space Nine, and now all our hopes rest here. And we just finished watching Empok Nor. Um, an adequate story. Yeah, it's not the best that DS9 has to offer, but it's not bad. And there are some really good moments in it, too. Yeah, it's got some great character moments. Yeah, that's its strength. Is it, 
The main story is very predictable and boilerplate, nothing special, but the character moments and performances make it something special. And even then, it's only so, so special. Um, the station needs special repair. They need one, one of some core, central, important thing. They need thing. a Cardassian part. Yeah, they need a Cardassian part, and given the state of relations, it's not like they they even joke about, hey, let's go ask Gold Ducat for one. Yeah, you know. Um, and they can't replicate it, so luckily... In a, you know, distant enough that it's not convenient, but not so distant that it'll take weeks to get there. System is an abandoned station of identical make called Empok Nor. Because the Cardassian name is, of Deep Space Nine is, Emp- is Terok Nor. Yeah. So, you know, and of course they get to reuse the model and all the sets and just turn off the lights and put debris on and all that. But, really all that is is a setup because, <coughs> excuse me. It ends up being an alien creature is stalking us story. Yeah, it's a it's a slasher movie, really. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, uh, Chief O'Brien, Nog comes along, uh, and then they bring in a couple security guards and a couple engineers, all no names, and, and then Garrick. and Garrick because Cardassians are famously xenophobic and and famously prone to leaving booby traps on their abandoned facilities. So they say, well, a lot of times. Like we saw with Gold Ducat when uh, the system set up a long time ago. Bajoran workers. Yeah, the Bajoran worker overthrow one. They uh, have stuff set up to zap non-Cardassians, so they need a Cardassian to walk in and turn it off. And one of the things at the very at the beginning, which is an amusing moment, and it's fitting character stuff, is uh, Garrick is very uh, he's bothered because everyone's going, "Boy, we're sure glad you're here with us," and he's like. People seem to trust me. It's very it's off-putting. So weird. And it's, it's funny, and it fits the character, but what's interesting is this becomes a, uh, a thread for later, because, and I hope I don't spoil this, you might want to stop listening if you want to see this episode, because there's a twist coming. Uh, so what it turns out is, there's some uh, Cardassian soldiers who've been frozen in stasis, and they come online as soon as someone comes on board the station. And we find out that not only were they put in stasis to guard the station, they were dosed with some sort of psychotropic thing that makes them really twigged out and extra xenophobic. Yeah, so yeah, instead of just distrusting aliens, they just want to kill everything that's not alien. And frankly, they want to kill everything. And they figure that probably these guys weren't set to guard the station. It's more like this was a failed experiment that they just never bothered terminating. And then just figured, hey, well, let's just set it up as a booby trap. You know, anyone who comes on board, you know. And slowly we come to realize that Garrick has gotten infected with yeah. this stuff, too. And so he's twigging out. And if you know anything about Garrick, Garrick is not someone you want to twig out. Yeah, Garrick is a trained assassin, the, you know, top-level yeah. assassin. And, you know, he can throw down. And uh, first he take he manages to take out the Cardassians, although they kill a couple people. I have to say, SF Debris talked about it when he reviewed this episode, too. One woman on this episode, the, the only woman in their group, she's just a standard no-name security guard. This might be, and if you know Star Trek, you know this is not something to say lightly, might be the stupidest security guard in Starfleet. And that's yeah. not something to say lightly. She, <coughs> she defies basic first-day weapon safety training. She's guarding an engineer... And she's standing there, literally with her gun pointed right at him. She's holding it and just pointing it right at him. And he goes, would you mind not pointing at me? She just goes, eh, the safety's on, and just ignores him. I, I, what? 
that doesn't make sense from a gun safety. It doesn't make sense from doing your job standpoint. It's tactically stupid because what is she expecting the evil Cardassian to pop out of the conduit he's working on? Basically, any threat that comes in here, you that's the only way to guarantee you, you will have to move your gun. Way. You're pointing at the one thing you don't want to potentially shoot in there. So you're guaranteed that unless they actually come between you and the target, which means that's not really the target, uh, then you have to move it away from him no matter what way you're doing it. As well, it's just, it's very stupid because you never want to trust a safety. Yeah, you always treat it like it's loaded. Don't point it in anything you don't want to destroy. And this is basic you gun are stuff. A moron! And it's, again, it's, it's a shocking lack of, eh, whatever. Um, and I will give credit. Uh, that girl could have gone to anyone, and they made it a woman. And usually in Star Trek, women are annoyingly right about everything. Yeah, they don't often allow them to have any flaws. Yeah, and it gets really stupid with a lot of like characters like Dax and Troy, which is a lot of why they're some of my least favorite characters. Is it's not so much a problem I have with women because Kira, I love Kira, but it's that when they decide a woman is noble, they will just make her right in every they argument. Make insufferable. Yeah, and they become these annoying Mary Sues. So for Star Trek to actually let a woman be so stupid and moronic was actually a surprisingly progressive thing. Of course, we'd rather that no one was a complete moron. Yeah, but if you have to have a moron, <laughs> at least at least be uh, equal di- diverse with your moronity. Equal opportunity stupidity. So yeah, Garrick takes out the Cardassians, and then he kills the last no-name, because the psychotropic agent has made him got made him turn from twitchy and willing to fight to defend his allies to now he will kill his allies. And all throughout the beginning of the episode, he'd been getting on O'Brien, seemingly from out of nowhere, to be honest. Uh, and this is before he was drugged, so this is this is true, Garrick, in this part, because if you, O'Brien, <coughs> my apologies, I got a cold. I'm fighting. Uh, O'Brien, way back, and he talked about in the Next Generation, had been at a massacre and had killed his first thing ever, which was a sapient being, when he was fighting to defend some colonists in a border war. And apparently that's been rewritten from O'Brien made a desperate move to protect people and actually killed a man into now he had a noble stand where he killed dozens of people and ran all yeah, this strategy. He's the and hero of Selic 3. Selic 3, yeah. And it's like, it's, it's a weird thing. Star Trek does that where they, they establish something in the past and then they just kind of exaggerate it and then treat the exaggerated thing like a given truth. We'll find out in Season 7 with... Uh, was it, uh, what, I don't remember the name of the, the Dax, but one of the Daxes that was a killer, instead of killing one person, now he went on a killing spree. Same thing that, you know, O'Brien, instead of killing one guy in self-defense, now he led a whole defense. So, yeah, uh, it, for Garrett to be upset at O'Brien, of all people, um, you know, Cisco. I don't know, has Cisco ever killed Cardassians that we can think of? Hmm. Well, he doesn't seem to have a problem with Kira, and Kira actually targeted Cardassians and hated Cardassians. Yeah. And he never se- he never seems to twig her. Maybe the fact that O'Brien is Starfleet and always has the nice guy thing. Maybe that's what bothered him. is Because the, the, he seems to be bothered by the two-faced nature of what he sees as two-faced. That O'Brien acts like a nice guy when he's really a killer. Maybe he just doesn't, doesn't want to believe that someone could be a killer but not want to be a killer. Yeah. But... 
And so uh, O'Brien has to fight and rescue Nog and, and beat O'Brien or beat Garrick. And, you know, and that's standard Star Trek action. It's not terrible. It's just we've seen it a thousand times. You know, he uses techno tricks and all this stuff. Okay, but it's, it's, it's not... If this were any other Star Trek series, it would be a pretty good episode. But for DS9, it's pretty average. Yeah. And what and what, what I'd say is the only real flaw of the episode. The other things are just, it's standard, but it's not bad. But to me, the only real flaw is at the very end, they seem very quick to say, well, he wasn't in his right mind, so he's not really accountable. And Once the authorities find out what really happened, you'll be completely cleared. And this never comes up except for some minor distrust with Nog later. And I think that's a little too pat. Um, we were talking, and, you know, if someone if someone killed me while they were spiked on LSD, I don't think Kim would just, like, say, oh, well, you know, bygones, bygones, you weren't really you. It's like, that's there's still a rending hole in your heart. You killed a man. You took him out of everyone else's life. You ended everything he can do. And drugs or no drugs, you know, it, it was bringing out what was bad in him. It, did, it wasn't an alien that took control of his body. And he was literally was not in control. He was it was just making him more aggressive, but it was still the aggression that was in him. You know, it's just like alcohol, it drops the inhibitions. It's not creating new things. You know, and in the same way, when you're drunk, you're still accountable for what you do. Even if someone actually spikes your drink, you're still accountable for what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, it might mitigate your sentence, but it doesn't just say, Well, you killed a man, but hey, you were tipsy, so do. And so I, I was bothered by how pat that was at the very end. And they only gave it, like, literally, like, 15 seconds of discussion. Everything else was all about just, like, oh, I can't believe this was really in me and all that. But he's an assassin. Of course it's in him. So, yeah, an yeah, adequate episode. Not too bad. It's good on atmosphere. I'll give it that. Yeah. Good on atmosphere, good on character. <coughs> awfully basic on plot. Yeah. Uh, so next time, what have we got? Next time is In the Cards, which is the last part before what I call Deep Space Nine, the movie. And also a wonderful treatment of the silliness of the Federation. Yeah, we're, uh, this is where Deep Space Nine does well, talking about the Federation. The, the Deep Space Nine is going to mock the Federation's economy. See you then. <laughs>